Hello, and welcome to the first ever recording of the University of Oregon's DH podcast. My name is Rachel Rochester, and I am the assistant to the director of digital humanities at the University of Oregon. And we're trying something a little bit new this term. So we're going to be doing podcasts once a month where we interview luminaries in the digital arts, digital humanities. And we're here today with our first guest, Chandra Legui. Chandra is the Western Oregon Field Coordinator for Oregon Wild, and she's here to talk a little bit about her work with Google Trekker, and we'll get more into what that is in a moment. So welcome, Chandra. Thank you, Rachel. Pleasure to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your work at Oregon Wild? Sure. Well, um, I am a University of Oregon graduate um, in environmental studies. I got my master's back in 2001. Um, I'm originally from Michigan and moved to Oregon because of its natural beauty and also the University of Oregon, its great environmental studies program. I work for Oregon Wild. It's a conservation organization that's been around since 1974, well before you and I, of course. (laughs) Of course. And uh, we work to protect and restore the beautiful places in Oregon, uh, mostly on federal public land. And so I'm an advocate for our public lands and all they have to offer for us and really pleased to have been able to put my education to good use in this way. Excellent. So what is Google Trekker? Well, um, Google Trekker, in a nutshell, is a Google Street View camera um, that many people have probably seen driving around neighborhoods, um, except that it's on a backpack and you carry it around on your back. And how did you come to collaborate with Google Trekker? Well, uh, Google has a grant program where they allow organizations or individuals even, I believe, to um, lease, I guess, um, or borrow uh, this device um, for specific purposes. So Oregon Wild wrote a grant to um, have the use of one of these trekkers to call attention to some of the areas that we're working to protect in Oregon. So for you, what do you think is the benefit of digitizing some of these hikes and trails and areas that you were preserving with Google Trekker? You know, people, people who get outside and enjoy... Um, the outdoors, whether it's hiking, mountain biking, camping, what have you, um, tend to appreciate um, the, the, the natural world and maybe um, be inclined to want to learn more or um, protect the place that they are experiencing. But not everybody has that chance to, to experience that in real life or um, or really enjoy the experience of, um, of viewing places on their computer screen. So Trekker is a way of offering that experience to people, places where they might not be able to get to, don't have the time to get to, or in a format where they, where they do enjoy it, enjoy it more. So it's, it's a way to make um, the outdoors and, and inaccessible places more accessible. And how did you choose the locations that you went to with Google Trekker? Well, Oregon Wild being an advocacy organization for um, protecting um, our public lands, we chose places that we are working to protect that um, might be under threat from future logging, road building, uh, development. And so we keep track of those places, and some of them are quite spectacular. And so we chose um, some of those that, that we knew might be threatened in the future and wanted to draw attention to. And in releasing these images, how, how are these images available? How can people access them? 
Well, they actually are available through uh, Google Maps and Google Earth. Um, you can, if you zoom in like you're zooming in to look at Street View, um, looking for directions or whatever, you can find these places. We do have links available directly to the places we took Trucker through a blog post and press release on Oregon Wild's website, so you can find it that way. But if you're just kind of um, looking around on, on Google Maps, in the general vicinity, you might zoom in and find that you're in the middle of a forest instead of looking at a storefront. So one of the things that I'm hearing you say is that it was really important to try to go to places that were vulnerable and that were at risk, um, and you wanted to preserve those so that people could enjoy them and sort of see their value. But how is it that people are getting that narrative in association with those images? You know, I wonder if people go to Google Earth, if they'll see those images divorced from that narrative and think, oh, this is a place that's already been protected. So how is it that that storyline of the need to protect these regions is associated with the images that you guys created? Great question, because I think that can be a problem. Without Oregon Wild's narrative, um, yeah, people might have no idea um, why, why we chose that place, why there are images of this place. So that's why it's important that we do have information available through our means, our website, etc., to tell that story. And you know, quite honestly, I don't know how many people would find sort of randomly these images on, on Google Maps. So it's, or, it, you know, it's on Oregon Wild to get that story out and have the links available so that people can, can actually find these images. And what is it that made you want to preserve these areas? You know, how did you, how did you sort of come to this? I know you said that you moved to Oregon because of the natural beauty, but what made you a person who was interested that, in that in the first place? Um, you know, I think it all comes back to upbringing. I grew up um, with room to roam <laughs> in a rural community. And so I just always uh, was comfortable being outdoors and fascinated by all the little things that I could find in the forest. So, you know, I grew out of an early, you know, childhood nature appreciation. And so I've always been sort of a, a nature nerd in that sense. And, um, you know, I just am I'm really happy to be out and, and finding these new things, new places, um, new little, little aspects of, of the natural world. And so, um, you know, having witnessed the destruction of some of these places, um, both near my home where I grew up and also here in Oregon where you see, you know, really destructive logging practices in many places, it really, really made me want, me want to help preserve them um, because I, the, the different, the stark difference between, you know, a place that has been protected or is not under threat and those those hor- horrific clear cuts is <laughs> is um, pretty telling, and so I I wanted to you know keep them in the first category and not in the latter. Did you guys go out and see any clear cut areas with Google Trekker, or did you just try to preserve the beautiful places? Yeah, with Trekker we only took it to the beautiful places, um, though there would be a certain kind of beauty in in doing both. Um, but we did not, you know, part of it was we did want to showcase places that were, that were beautiful, that people might be inspired to want to protect or learn more about. Um, and there's really not a whole lot of beauty in, you know, the, the clear cut landscape. So, so that it wasn't really the point. Um, but if, but as far as telling a story, uh, that would be very powerful. If you had your fantasy budget, right? Unlimited access to the Google checker camera, unlimited time to sort of work on this. What do you think you would do with it? Like, what are the things that you that are on your wish list? Well, first of all, I would hire someone to carry the darn thing. <laughs> it was, um, it's quite heavy and uh, unwieldy. So I'd, I'd, I'd hire some strapping lads <laughs> or, or other um, uh, capable people to carry the, the trekker and then I can just hike along. So there's some budget, but... Um, 
No, really. I, I do think that telling the story a little bit better um, would be interesting. Hiking through one type of, uh, of, of maybe a logged area into an old growth forest, you know, in one trip, um, which is certainly possible, would help tell the story better if someone were to encounter those images online without, uh, without Oregon Wild narrative. So I, I think that would be really valuable. You know, there's also, though, a downside to taking this thing everywhere and digitally documenting all the places that um, are special in Oregon, because um, I, I do believe it's very important for people to actually get out and experience them, these places themselves if they can, um, and making it a, too easy um, can have problems for our society in general. Yeah, when I hear you talk about what made you into a quote-unquote nature nerd, it's a really immersive experience, and I've had the opportunity to go on a few hikes with you, which are also really immersive, and and am I right in remembering that you're a master naturalist, too? Yeah, I am. And so one of the things you talk about on your hikes is you you really showcase sort of the flora and the fauna that is visible, and and I, I can think so clearly of things like the smell of wet pine when we're walking together and things like that. And that kind of thing I, does get lost when you see Google Trucker. Do you think that a digital archive like the one that has been created here um, can actually convert people into nature nerds? Or do you think it's just sort of one tool in a larger toolbox? Yeah, I think it's definitely a tool. Um, I, don't, I don't know that's the only one that you'd want to use. But again, you know, people learn differently. People appreciate things in different formats. I, I think it can be a way for certain people to, that might be the only way that they really enjoy, you know, experiencing a forest. Um, I mean, I think that's nuts because I think, you know, they're really amazing places to experience. But, you know, I, I recognize that everyone appreciates things differently. So, yeah, and, you know, I, I can see ways of using the imagery from Google Trucker to do more interpretation. You could um, use, I mean, they're really high quality images, um, 360, you know, panoramic. So you could add um, interpretation, you know, pointing out the the mosses or the wildflowers or the types of trees and things like that in an interactive way so that people could learn some of the that nerdy stuff that, that I find so fascinating. Of course, they don't get the, the smells, the, the feel of the moist air, uh, things like that, but, but it could still be a way of engaging people a bit more than just seeing the image. And we really need to get that smell-o-vision technology up this stuff. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we're focusing on this year in particular is public humanities at the University of Oregon, ways that we can kind of use humanities research for the public good and engage with people who are outside of the academy or even inside the academy but outside of our specific fields. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about some of the threats that are facing Oregon and Oregon's wild places and maybe help us get our gears turning about public humanities projects that we could try to work on if somebody had an idea who's out there listening. What are some of the things that really need our attention? Well, when we're talking about public, and maybe you're, maybe you think about it in a different way than than I think about it, but you know, I think about public lands, and half of Oregon is public land um, that's that's um, owned by the people, all of us, and managed by federal agencies. And there, there's a real threat right now from. Um, let's say activists uh, who believe that these public lands should um, not be held um, and managed by the federal government um, or even owned by the American people. And there's a push in Congress to um, dispose of some of our public lands. I mean, even places um, like national monuments that have been protected in Utah that, you know, just absolutely spectacular 
Um, there's a push for, you know, essentially uh, what it would result in is is privatizing the use of public resources. And, and I think it is a real threat philosophically for the American public right now. And I'm not sure how real it is um, politically, but there is that push. And um, that's really that's really frightening um, if people stop to think about all that we have and all that we share publicly in in across the country and, and here in Oregon. I mean, things like clean water. Um, it's a public resource and the vast majority of of our drinking water comes from um, streams and rivers that originate on public land. So this is something that we all share and is essential to our lives. And and the push to privatize it or um, you know develop it or somehow devalue it, you know, or divorce it from uh, the lands around the water, for example, um, I think can be it can be really problematic. I'm hearing that we need to preserve our public lands because of the natural beauty because it's something that we can all enjoy and also because of watershed preservation. What are some of the other more utilitarian reasons that we would should be invested in preserving our public lands? Well, water I think is pretty utilitarian as it's something that we that we all require to to live. Um, clean air as well um, is a public resource that uh, that our public forests and public lands help protect. In you know in this era of climate change and continued climate change. Our public forests uh, store an amazing amount of carbon um, to offset some of the pollution that we're creating in, in cities and through through other you know development. Um, and I think that's something that's undervalued tremendously um, in the grand scheme of things um, that we need to consider. Um, so I think that's pretty utilitarian. And then of course um, our economy is driven in many ways in Oregon by our public lands. So not just things like public resources like water, but, um, you know, actual physical things that people spend money on, uh, like camping gear and, you know, any type of recreation that people do is is driving our economy um, and tourism. Um, People visit here, people um, move here, you know, for some of these places and, and this quality of life that our public lands afford. And I think that's going to become a bigger issue as, you know, we have climate refugees coming from other uh, parts of the West in particular, um, where they don't have water and they don't have forests. So we're going to have to be careful with, you know, how, how we manage that growth, but preserving, preserving things like water and air and, and, and forests are going to be important to that. It strikes me that so much of your work at Oregon Wild is trying to drum up public interest in some of these major concerns and ecological issues. I'm wondering if there's anything that you found to be particularly effective for engaging public interest. I'm always thinking about rhetorical strategies, what's effective, what's not effective, and trying to communicate sort of scientific findings to a non-scientific audience. And I'm wondering if you guys have come across anything that you feel like really works. That's a tough one. You know, as a you know, someone who comes from more of a scientific background and, you know, values things, you know, some of these natural things that I've, that I've talked about that doesn't relate to, to all people. And so, you know, there's this whole other arm of the conservation movement that is around communications and, uh, that sort of strategy. But, um, and, and I'm not an expert in that in any way, but I will say that I believe what really works is is connecting to someone or the public at large on an emotional level. So finding shared values around you know a beautiful place that you've experienced or 
uh, you know, talking about an emotional connection that you had with a, you know, some wildlife, you know, a deer or an elk or, you know, a wolf in the wild, um, where you can have shared experiences that, that really connect at an emotional level, I think is the way to really hook people on these issues. And then you can get into, you know, the, the deeper stuff, um, around, you know, what's it, what's at stake and what's at risk and how you can actually help. What was the experience like of actually using technology in the outdoors? Did it change or alter how you experienced your hike? Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> um, you know, this this piece of equipment um, is pretty technical and, you know, had to go through some training to use it. It takes about 15 minutes to sort of fire up. So I had to wait for it and make sure I was doing everything in the proper order and then hoist the thing on my back and check in with the cameras now and then while I was hiking to ensure that it was capturing uh, the data properly. So I couldn't just enjoy myself the way I normally would. And so it was, it was very interesting. I mean, I was doing it for, you know, this higher purpose of bringing this information to the world, but it's not how I normally would have done things. You know, I have found that various types of technology um, in the outdoors is really helpful. You know, I have an app on my phone that basically is a, a really good wildflower identification book that I no longer have to carry with me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just right there in my pocket. And, and that sort of thing is great. But in this in this um, instance, I basically strapped a 45-pound monster to my back, which is the opposite of, of being really helpful and easy to use, you know. So so it, it took away rather than enhanced my personal experience in, in hiking. But, you know, the end result is that we have this, this great great data and um, great information for people to look at. So so it, it, it all works out. It was, um, But it wasn't something that I would do maybe by choice um, to, to enjoy a hike. Chandra has graciously offered to lead a DH-related hike to one of the areas that they have focused on with Google Trekker, and that would be Grandmother's Grove. So Chandra, can I ask you to describe that a little bit for us? Sure. Um, the Grandmother's Grove was actually, it, it's a funny name, it was named by um, a woman who teaches at Lane Community College um, and does teaches ESL classes. And she takes um, she takes her students to this grove of old growth trees that aren't too far from where she lives, just southwest of Eugene, near the town of Crow, because she wants them to experience you know some of Oregon's natural beauty because many of them are new to the area um, or to the country. And so she discovered this area near her home, and it's got a nice little trail that she helped develop. Um, this is on Bureau of Land Management land, um, public lands. Um, that's interspersed with a lot of um, private timberland that's been heavily clear cut. So it's really an island of of serenity and um, and and moss and old growth trees in it, uh, surrounded by a lot of what we call the checkerboard of management, where there's um, squares of land that have been clear cut and then other squares that have. Um, been protected a little bit better. So the Grandmother's Grove is right in the heart of that and is really spectacular. So if you're interested in seeing what Google Trekker is capable of, what that digital technology is capable of, um, go do a virtual tour of Grandmother's Grove. We're going to be posting the links to some of these sites on our blog. So check out our companion blog piece and then come join us for this hike. We'll probably be doing it in the spring. Keep, keep an eye on our calendar for when that will be and we'll be announcing it on the podcast closer to the date too. Um, but trying to capitalize on some nicer weather, I think, is a pretty good idea. <laughs> and then you can see side by side the difference between the full-on immersive experience of going physically and being able to see this space virtually. 
Finally, before we leave, if people want to support Oregon Wild and the great work that you guys do there, how can they most effectively do that? Uh, I would recommend people check out OregonWild.org. Our website has a lot of information about the work that we do, from protecting native wildlife across Oregon to um, protecting wilderness um, and the and the Crater Lake area um, to protecting uh, forests like the ones we took the trekker to. Um, and there's a way to support and donate on the website or sign up for any of the hikes that we leave. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chandra. I really appreciate you coming and speaking with us today. Thank you listeners for tuning into our first podcast. We're going to be doing this once a month. We're going to be doing it the last Monday of every month. So stay tuned for more interviews and I hope you enjoyed it. Give us feedback. Thank you all. Mm-hmm.